Hello, everyone, and welcome back to SALT Talks. My name is John Darcy. I'm the Managing Director of SALT, which is a global thought leadership forum and networking platform at the intersection of finance, technology, and public policy. SALT Talks are a digital interview series with leading investors, creators, and thinkers. And our goal on these talks is the same as our goal at our SALT conferences, where we just uh, finished up a fun SALT conference in partnership with FTX in the Bahamas called Crypto Bahamas that uh, today's guest comes from a firm that uh, graciously sponsored that event and was a great participant in that event. Uh, so we're very thankful for every day, everybody who participated there. But what we accomplished there at Crypto Bahamas and what we try to accomplish here on these SALT talks is to provide a window into the mind of subject matter experts, as well as provide a platform for what we think are big ideas that are shaping the future. And we're very excited today to bring you the latest edition of the SALT Crypto Show, which is brought to you by our partner, FTX, uh, where we discuss various issues within the digital asset Web3 and blockchain ecosystem. And today's guest is Darar Islam uh, from Genesis. Uh, Dr. Islam joined Genesis in May of 2020 as the firm's vice president and head of business development. Today, as COO, he's responsible for managing strategic initiatives integrating new services, coordinating daily business operations, and executing on Genesis's global vision to build the world's preeminent prime brokerage in the digital currency ecosystem. Prior to joining Genesis, Dr. Islam served as the head of risk at Hard Yaka, which is a San Francisco-based venture capital firm. Uh, he previously served as vice president at Bank of America Merrill Lynch, where he co-managed the company's funding valuation adjustment trading desk. Uh, Dr. Islam earned a PhD in financial mathematics with, with a focus on the pricing and hedging of financial derivatives from Florida State University and is a Fulbright scholar. Today, he holds uh, FINRA Series 7 and 63 licenses. Uh, so, Dr. Islam, thanks so much for joining us today on Salt Talks. We missed you down in the Bahamas. We hope to see you there next year. Uh, but in the meantime, this conversation will have to suffice. Thank you, John. Thank you very much for hosting me today. Uh, definitely, I echo what you said about uh, the uh, Bahamas conference. Fantastic feedback from the team and from all our partners. And we really enjoyed uh, being part of that uh, initiative and work. So truly appreciate it. Like I said, we look forward to continuing to collaborate with Genesis on a number of fronts. But I want to dive into this. And we do these SALT talks both for people that are deep into the crypto digital asset world, as well as people that are newer to the space looking to learn about what's going on in the industry as well as the different players in the space. As I talked about in the introduction, you know, Genesis really, uh, your goal is to build the world's preeminent prime brokerage in the digital currency ecosystem. You know, from a, a Skybridge perspective, when I was reading my intro, my bio, I wear two hats really. One is, you know, as the managing director of SALT, the other is as a partner on the Skybridge asset management side of the house. I know in, in 2017, uh, we were evaluating uh, getting into the crypto space, the digital asset ecosystem, but just the suite of service providers that existed in that world didn't meet our standards in terms of what our LPs expect of us and what we expect of ourselves, institutional player in the space. We were able to then make the leap a few years later into investing into the asset class. But for you, could you talk a little bit more about who Genesis is, what the problem is that you're trying to address? and how in, in your role you're looking to attack those problems. Thank you. So uh, Genesis is a digital assets prime broker based in New York uh, City. We are a broker dealer. Uh, we operate under the BIT license. Uh, we have been in the business since 2013. Currently, we offer um, a series of products around digital assets, spot business started 2013. 
introduced lending in 2018. We currently manage one of the largest lending uh, institutional businesses in the world. Uh, and in 2020, we introduced derivatives and custody. So basically, we offer the full suite of uh, prime broker services uh, globally. We have uh, United States-based entities. We have also offshore entities. And uh, we try to offer all those products. Actually, we do offer all those products uh, under a different regulation based on where our clients are, what the products are. And we have been uh, compliant and regulated since day one. We started trading crypto in 2013, actually, in New York, and uh, at the time when Bitcoin was trading at $100. And this is really our brand. It's regulated, compliant, offering global uh, solutions for the digital assets. And definitely, we continue to evolve with the evolving regulatory and client demands overall. So as I mentioned, um, at SkyBridge, we went through this process of evaluating the institutional quality of the service providers that were in the space dating back to a time like 2017. As you mentioned, Genesis has been around for, you know, uh, since the early stages of the digital asset uh, development of the digital asset ecosystem. You've seen uh, the quality of services at every step of the way, and you've tried to innovate around building institutional quality services in the space. What do you think are the challenges to bringing on uh, more institutions into trading digital assets, owning digital assets, uh, you know, long-term holding of digital assets? What are the challenges there, uh, and and what are the sort of the pros and cons of the institutionalization of the crypto space? No, thank you. Uh, this is a very very important question, and this is something we always think about when it comes to expanding our coverage and the market segments we 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 try to seek and. In nutshell, overall, uh, when it comes to large clients and clients from other space, it's mostly education and risk. It's people to want to understand what this asset class is, uh, what the utility of this, why clients are asking for it, and how to really integrate it within the traditional uh, financial infrastructure. As you know, after the financial crisis 2008, especially banks and larger funds, they invested heavily in infrastructure and reporting and regulatory reporting in a systemic way where they can adhere to the regulation and to the scrutiny from, from everyone. But now you come to this asset class that is trading 24-7, 365, instantly settled, and it comes with a very unique risks, very different than traditional space. You have now DeFi, you have application risks, smart contracts, infrastructure, uh, more like software-like risk. And uh, how that fits in and educating those clients to get them comfortable in assessing, quantifying, and uh, and integrating those asset class within their existing infrastructure is, is key. And uh, I think at Genesis, we, we are sitting like a bridge between the crypto native and the traditional space. And we have people from both ends. And that allow us to speak the language of uh, those large corporations and institutions, and also help us understand how we should we tweak our product to make it appealing to those uh, to those institutions. And as you mentioned, you keep mentioning 2017, we really start to see the turning point in 2020, when we used to mainly have high net worth individuals, hedge funds who are trying to, you know, trade the basis or uh, speculating or true believers and crypto native people. But now we start to see larger hedge funds, larger asset managers, the banks, and those require us to build also more unique and iterate on our infrastructure to service them. And that is a good thing to have, but it's also very challenging for us to scale. 
Yeah, you know, to your point, I, I keep mentioning 2017 is the time when we did the initial uh, due diligence on the space, select the asset class, the, the service providers and the infrastructure in the space didn't meet our standards. In 2020, we, we made that exercise again. And in the fall of 2020 is when we allocated a significant amount of capital into Bitcoin, eventually into Ethereum, eventually as an LP and, and several other funds as well. So it matches with your time frame of, of the, uh, right. the time frame that things evolved as well. So it's interesting to hear you say that. Um, and we have this conversation a lot. There's this, there's this saying awesome. within the crypto world that, uh, that the institutions are coming. Yes. No, sorry. I want to close on the earlier point where I said. Yeah, go ahead. So the main thing we said, risk and education. And I would say the second will be, uh, there are three main points, risk and education that come with it. The second point is the balance sheets and, and liquidity. Basically, large banks, they come, they expect, they are not going to come into the business or large institutions if they are like, you know, large sizes, meaningful sizes. And as you know, Probably the liquidity in Bitcoin Ethereum might be acceptable, but beyond that is not. And even in Bitcoin Ethereum at, at, at very large sizes become challenging on day to day. And uh, so balance sheet and how much you can execute. And that is also a big issue to, to communicate and concern. And I would say uh, the third item comes always uh, the credit aspect. Um, Large banks, they are used to also trade with companies who probably have a CDS or bond or they know their credit rating. Or, but most of the crypto companies evolved as small shops or experimenting. Or So none of them probably, very few are public companies. Very, very few, they have credit rating. So, so those are the big elements that uh, I would call them hurdles or gateways to, 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 to work with banks. But I think everything is evolving organically now because there is more adoption, more liquidity, and that allows us to also sell this asset class to those larger players and be able to execute with them. And uh, lastly, I will mention technology is given. Uh, all those banks and institutions require very solid technology, electronic execution services, solid connectivities, because this is what they do in the equity, FX world. So they expect very similar service. And this is something we are trying or we are investing heavily and in now to, to meet those demands. And makes, I still, yeah. No, it's, it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, there's this saying within the crypto world that the institutions are coming. Just wait till this tsunami of institutional capital hits the space and what it does to the prices of tokens. And obviously we're seeing valuations, private company valuations within the space continue to be fairly strong, even despite the sort of lull that we're seeing in crypto markets. But what do you think are the biggest obstacles for institutions? You could qualify those institutions as uh, institutional asset managers like hedge funds, uh, but also institutional asset allocators like sovereign wealth funds, pensions, endowments, large family offices that in our conversations, those people maybe in their personal accounts, they have an allocation uh, into crypto assets, but they're still hesitant from an organizational point of view to invest in the space. What do you think the biggest obstacle uh, for those entities is? Is it lack of regulatory clarity? Is it still hesitancy around things like custody and trading and, and, and insurance and things like that in the space? But in your experience talking to these institutions, what's the biggest obstacle to greater uh, institutionalization of the asset class? No, this is a very good question and you partially answered it. But I would say regulation is definitely key. Key for all of us because 
large spenders and large banks who wants to help us grow this infrastructure, they are not going to invest heavily until there is a clarity from the regulatory space. And a company like Genesis, we are in, in direct connect, 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 like direct contact with the regulators. We, we, we make the case, and a lot of companies like our partners and competitors doing the same. But we are looking for clarity, and the clarity could mean bad things in the short term for the crypto space, but could mean also amazing things for the medium to long term. So we really uh, clarity is key for participation overall, or for like larger scale participation and. And that doesn't mean just the United States. It's it's Europe is uh, you know a big element, Asia. But but you see some, you have success stories. Uh, you know, bit license. Yes, it's difficult to obtain, difficult to maintain. But it it at least gives you a path, a clear path to to operate in New York and and be successful. You have the MAS Singapore license that we actually apply to. Also, it's it's a very unique way to access Asia and operate uh, legally across all suites of uh, crypto assets in, in Singapore. So overall, those are the things that will help in the adoption and help this asset class to be uh, more mainstream. Uh, also, I would say um, uh, you touched on a very important point is I go back to the infrastructure, settlement, cryptographic aspects of the asset class. A lot of uh, traditional risk managers in companies and CROs are totally unfamiliar and uncomfortable with those aspects. So uh, luckily, we have partners and companies like uh, Fireblocks and others who are actually working hard to to uh, to, to basically, um, uh, what do you call it, um, eliminate some of those problems and create institutional solutions. You have also Genesis Custody, where actually we, we offer all the sort of solutions for companies to uh, put their assets and in secured way uh, and, and offer them services on top of that. But at the very, very end of the day, it's important to have a standard protocols and procedures around that. And that might end up being one of the clearing houses adopting crypto, being one of those existing infrastructures support crypto, because this is the only way to block to other asset classes. Meaning, crypto should be one of the asset classes. If we keep talking about it in silo, we are not going to be able to integrate it in the financial uh, system overall. You need someone like the CME or others to say, you know what, you trade with me X, you can trade the crypto as well. And this is where I think companies like Genesis and others who are resembling or working towards prime broker solutions, allowing clients to trade. Now we are focusing on crypto, but I'm pretty sure JP Morgan and Bank of America now and others, or larger banks, crypto will become one of the things their clients trade and, and it's going to be part of the day-to-day um, -day investment story. Now, to recap, basically, as you said, regulatory infrastructure and custody. And I would say something important is uh, the, the boards and the risk appetite of those companies. Uh, take uh, family offices and others. Those are very traditional old institutions. They have been very successful doing great just trading, probably equity market that has been booming for, uh, I would say, you know, five to seven years. And it's, it requires a lot of energy from people in those institutions to say, you know what, let's give away the 50% we made on SP500 last year and let's trade crypto. So uh, the asset class is volatile. It requires people who are really uh, willing to take that risk and that appetite. And it's, it's not there yet. And 
probably there is no reason to take that risk at this point. So, so you should look at the other side also, is why would a, a, like an endowment manager to take that risk where he gets paid based on his performance, it's a very volatile asset class. So I'm hopeful that ripple impact of having more adoption, more stability, less volatility of this asset class is gonna help new market signals to enter, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the spiel that we give to allocators that are LPs in our funds as it relates to digital assets is it doesn't have to be 20% of your portfolio, 10% of your portfolio, even 5% of your portfolio, but just start dipping your toe and, and start educating yourself around you know why uh, there's a big opportunity cost potentially to not being allocated in some way uh, in, into this space. And I think when you when you have skin in the game at that point it accelerates the learning curve you start to experience you know some of the education in real time uh, the way we have as a firm uh, and then it, it it inevitably we think uh, acts as a gateway to greater adoption but uh, still working on a lot of those conversations and talking about those conversations we have relationships all over the world so we do our salt conference uh, for example we do it in asia in singapore we do it in the middle east in abu dhabi we do it in the United States. We just had a crypto conference in the Bahamas, which has put forward a very comprehensive regulatory framework for digital assets. As you guys have conversations around the world, are, are there specific jurisdictions that you think are being being very proactive uh, around understanding, adopting, and sort of cultivating an innovative digital asset ecosystem? And how do you think the United States, in terms of how it's thinking about uh, building out digital asset regula regulation. How does it compare to conversations you're having around the world? No, this is uh, this is a very very good question. Uh, as I told you, there is as you you tell like all countries pretty much or like large countries they are all interested in crypto and they all have like white papers and central banks efforts and and so so you see different streams. You see people who are interested more from central bank aspects and stable coins and you have more people interested in the whole asset class. So. Uh, I would say for on our radar, um, as I mentioned earlier, Singapore, we see them as very, very progressive. Uh, they are true partners. They try to understand the space. Uh, they work to understand the space very well. And uh, they really put a very uh, interesting uh, license and framework to, I think, uh, make Singapore like one of the centers in Asia. So this is something very, very, um, we find it as a very, appealing and actually did, like satisfy what our needs and what our client demands are. So, and of course, Singapore coming later after seeing what the bit license does and other efforts probably give them a lot of like headway into, uh, you know, putting a more probably scalable uh, regulatory framework. Uh, I would never discount what uh, definitely New York and DFS is doing. They, they continue to reiterate around their efforts uh, they are overseeing very large institutions. Uh, New York operates one of the largest crypto companies in the world. And definitely, we, we continue to collaborate with them and to grow that uh, aspect. Uh, funny you mentioned Abu Dhabi. I, we think there is a lot of uh, fantastic efforts going on there. Uh, Middle East in general um, uh, always has been uh, a focus for us. Actually, we are, uh, I, I didn't know you do salt in Abu Dhabi, actually, sorry for that, but I'm definitely uh, interested to learn more. Uh, but we are in connection already with uh, like exchanges and regulators there, and we definitely, uh, Asia in general, Middle East, when, when I even was working at the funding desk at Bank of America, all the appetite to new asset class, to high yield, to 
all the demand comes usually from those kind of countries and from Asia. It's part of the culture, part of the risk appetite. So uh, again, Gulf country and Abu Dhabi, I would say, is one of the centers. Israel is also another area that is very progressive uh, with that space. But for us, I would summarize it as um, definitely uh, Singapore and uh, the United States. Now, United States, it looks fragmented. It looks, but we are, we are very happy with the executive um, uh, executive uh, order recently, where the White House formed uh, the new committee to 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 uh, see what next steps needs to be done and the dialogue around that and. Uh, uh, our, uh, we know a lot of partners and parent company already involved in those discussions. So um, we are really pleased with the recent efforts. And uh, we hope that the United States uh, kind of decide on which regulators would be taking over this asset class, whether it's the underlying or derivatives on top of it. But having clarity soon will, will really help us a lot because no one, like the United States have one of the largest capital markets in the world. And for any asset class to succeed, you need the clarity in the United States. So so for us, we think it's critical to have more clarity here and it's not there yet. Yeah, you know, going back to your point, uh, Singapore, we've experienced the same thing in that sort of like you mentioned in New York, people might not necessarily be always thrilled with the fact that they are uh, in an energetic way regulating and engaging around digital assets. It's not, you know, the Wild West where they're allowing anything to happen, but they are uh, creating an environment where people can operate with confidence uh, that, that things are being regulated correctly. Um, but like you said, the UAEs and other jurisdictions, just to compare notes on this, is that, like you said, we we host the SALT conference there in partnership with the sovereign wealth funds with Mubadala, um, Adia, ADGM yeah. being the yeah. offshore regulatory body. And over the last even six to nine months, there is a big energy around building digital asset regulatory frameworks about catalyzing a, a ecosystem built around innovation within fintech and within crypto. And I think you're going to hear a lot more. You've seen people like Binance, Kraken getting licensed in Abu Dhabi, others. Yes. I think you're going to see the UAE, like it often does, be at the forefront of, of trying to build out uh, an entire ecosystem around this asset class. More to come on that front. I can't say too much, but you know, us as someone who operates in the asset management world, as well as hosts you know, thought leadership forums around the world, we are enthusiastic about helping to uh, be a part of that ecosystem as well. So more to come from us on that front, but but I think we're we're thinking along the same lines globally in terms of where these pockets of innovation are taking place. A question I want to ask you, you were talking about how uh, today we view digital assets and traditional assets as distinct things, right? We think about stocks and we think about crypto assets um, distinctly. They, they trade mostly on different exchanges, uh, different mechanisms by which they operate. How much do you think that that separation is going to continue to exist? Or how much over time do you think you're going to see a merging of traditional marketplaces, traditional service providers, uh, traditional exchanges take place to the point where uh, those all sort of merge into one? Uh, I, I think it's it's like history must repeat itself this time. I mean, we are must be hitting the coming year to three years into more consolidation whether within the crypto space or between the traditional and the crypto. I definitely, I don't see how traditional companies will grow without, uh, you know, acquiring or integrating uh, crypto exchanges or crypto companies within these firms and expanding their services. I mean, uh, this is going to happen. So I, again, that's why 
I like us to be in the middle as a bridge because you cannot bet on which direction is whom. You have crypto companies who are becoming massive and they might acquire a traditional company actually to be part of offering full suite prime broker and could be vice versa. But there is no way, again, uh, I believe this asset will grow if it doesn't become one of 50 assets you trade on any platform. It cannot because a true, uh, true prime broker concept or true like how counterparties trade, they all trade on a portfolio level and they need to have the right margining rules and exposure and balance sheet management. So segregating those, it makes crypto looks like the, the orphan and you have to trade with much more expensive balance sheet, trade it one to one. You cannot manage your credit risk properly. And not to mention, by the way, something very important, the capital rules around crypto. Like us as a brand broker, uh, if you hold Bitcoin, your balance sheet has 100% haircut. So we talk about regulation. Uh, regulation allow me actually to trade crypto, but from capital and balance sheet perspective, it doesn't count in certain circumstances. So there is no way for me to be able to offer or scale massively without injecting massive equity or, or and those are very expensive solutions. The true solutions is to actually be one of the asset class. Yes, it's volatile. Probably on the balance sheet should have 20, 30% haircut. But regardless, uh, clients should be comfortable to have allocate 10, 20% of their capital to crypto. And those crypto assets should act as very healthy collateral against their positions in credit and commodity and others. So, uh, so back to your question, this is going to be national, natural like uh, journey to this asset class. It's going to happen. I cannot time it, but uh, I start to see the signs of that because you see larger banks getting engaged. You see crypto companies becoming massive and big, and and uh, this part of the natural cycle of of of, of any business, I would say. Yeah, it's, it's interesting for us to see. We obviously have a close partnership with FTX and just full disclosure on the Skybridge side, we're investors in FTX um, via a couple of their recent rounds. So you know, they, they certainly hold the belief that tokenized assets are going to be a big part of the future. They entered into a partnership with IEX, for example, to get deeper into sort of uh, a traditional uh, stock exchange or equity exchange uh, and think that we're going to start to think more meaningfully about disrupting some of these traditional market structures that we've seen incremental improvements in market structure over the last several decades. But really, uh, most of our financial market structure is a remnant of a distant past. You know, a lot of it built in the 1930s type era in terms of the time that, that these assets trade, the, the mechanisms by which these assets trade. So it'll be interesting to see those two worlds continue to collide, as you mentioned. You talked about in the open. Go ahead. Yeah, you, you mentioned actually a very important point that I should have covered. Uh, when it comes to the tokenization in general, uh, yes, some people view crypto 24-7, 365 based on blockchain is a bad thing because you cannot integrate it in the traditional infrastructure, as I mentioned earlier. But then you have other innovative banks, actually, and partners who are thinking, well, why aren't we trading other asset classes uh, 24-7, 365? Right. Why are we taking this gap risk there? Why should I sit for a long weekend before I can, you know, trade something and I'm exposing myself to, you know, 48 hours of risk? So I think we are focusing too much as industry on the crypto. We are not crypto assets. We are not speaking enough about the blockchain technology itself. I mean, at the end of the day, 
you know, you have the Bitcoin people, you have Ethereum people, but to be a prime broker, you have to be as asset agnostic as possible. You have to invest in the right infrastructure to clear and trade digital assets, which are all blockchain based. And uh, I think what you mentioned about organization and moving some traditional assets to trade like crypto, uh, that is another trend that will convert somehow to the right medium of, of adopting the asset class in general. Yeah, but and it's, it's another prong in this regulatory, uh, we call it an education process around regulation is, you know, how how comfortable are regulators going to feel in terms of upending what has been in place from a, a financial market structure for a long time, but like you said, doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense given the technologies that are now at our disposal, ranging from uh, the internet generally to blockchain technology that allows for even more transparency of, of trading of those assets. Um, in terms of, you, you alluded earlier in the, the conversation around the different services uh, that a prime broker offers and that Genesis offers within the digital asset world, is there one area of your business that you guys either are focusing on most heavily right now or that you're experiencing the most growth and interest from your clients and partners, whether it be on the lending side, whether it be on the derivative side? Is there a certain area of your business that sticks out in that regard? So uh, definitely for us, uh, what you mentioned are all both critical. So the biggest growth we have seen uh, on the derivative side. Now, currently we are certain majors number one desk in trading derivative OTC for institutions. And uh, we saw a great uh, demand on that size and it comes from, you know, different, uh, whether it is miners, whether it is uh, large institutions hedging, whether it is asset managers speculating, whatever it is, hedge funds, sorry. Uh, so derivatives grew a lot on, on our balance sheet and our business. Lending for us continue to be core business because there is no successful prime broker or any capital market business without strong balance sheet and repo market. So, so we continue to uh, build and scale that business. And we probably did about 200 uh, billion of origination last year. Uh, I can double check that number, but definitely both lending and derivatives are growing. Now, when it comes to custody, it's, it's interesting, as I mentioned earlier, there is also big growth in that area. We view custody not just as a service to keep your assets safe. We view it also as a medium for you to be able to trade and take exposure and be able to do more business with us if you keep assets with us. So, uh, so also that is very appealing to a lot of institutions, basically to 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 keep your assets with you and then uh, in a safe manner yet to be able to do more business. So. In a nutshell, from products, I would say derivatives, but uh, lending and, and custody continue to be core to, to, to our business. I have a question about stable coins. So this is something that, that uh, we talked about at the conference. You know, I think what you talked about earlier in terms of Genesis being a bridge between the traditional finance world and the services that are offered in that world and the digital asset world and professionalizing the suite of services that are available in the digital asset world is very interesting. I think stable coins in a lot of way act as that bridge between, you know, hardcore cryptocurrency type assets and just a re-engineering of the financial system. You've seen someone like, you know, Tether uh, is controversial in its own way, but you've seen 
uh, USDC and Circle raised significant amounts of money from the likes of BlackRock and Fidelity and others uh, to build out sort of how they tap into the stablecoin market and use stablecoins as a way to re-engineer uh, the way they provide services to their investors uh, and clients. But how do you view stablecoins and how they're driving a lot of change within the financial system? Uh, I would say, again, when it comes to stablecoins, it's, uh, as you know, most of the trading really with crypto, most of the liquidity comes with against USD in general. Uh, US dollars. And uh, that created natural uh, organic growth for stablecoins, especially in dollar, because you need to do this matching and settlement and you need to move assets faster and so on and so forth. So stablecoins are a critical integrated component of, of the liquidity and the health of the crypto ecosystem now. And in a way, it creates uh, a lot of benefits, but another way, it creates also systemic risk to the ecosystem because um, Yes, there are certain trusted partners who, you know, manage certain uh, stable coins, uh, issue them, but you have different, as you mentioned, there are different players in the space and there is no clear regulation around it when it comes to capital requirements, transparency, and all those, uh, you know, terms that usually, uh, I know I have a lot of crypto savvy people who go against me, say the Federal Reserve can print money and all of that, but in general, uh, they are critical. Uh, I think we can do also better when it comes to, uh, you know, creating a neutral maybe institutions who can manage that or banks or independent entities. But regardless, it's it's in high demand. You Most of them are trading at parity now. That means there is a lot of confidence in those coins and what value they bring to the market. And uh, we are definitely, um, you know, partners with Circle and uh, we use USDC. And uh, overall, it's part of our core business as well. And um, I hope I answered your question, but definitely, uh, listen, I mean, this goes back to regulation. If if central banks and others stepped up earlier or now and they come up with solutions to be able to uh, trade and clear uh, USD dollar instantly, I think uh, pretty much everyone will switch to that or adopt it or use it. But um, as I told you, we are asset agnostic. We try to... Asset agnostic, in a way, we, we, we don't trade any asset, we don't trade any stable coin. We do our due diligence around from regulatory, legal, and uh, from capital uh, aspects, but uh, we also have to satisfy what our clients need. And, and definitely, we trade different kinds of stable coins, and, uh, and it's part of the business anyway. Right. In terms of additional gaps that exist potentially uh, that are obstacles towards institutional adoption within the asset class uh, or, or generally for the digital asset ecosystem? Are there gaps that you guys are still looking to build into and develop solutions for? Uh, or what's sort of the next chapter for Genesis? Is it just getting deeper penetration into the services that you're already providing? Or are there different uh, areas that you're looking to build into? No, this is a great question. I mean, Genesis, historically, we have been, up to 2020, I would say 20, we have been truly over-the-counter, high-touch business. We only always tailored only to large institutions. We never touch retail ever. So that means most of our money comes from like OTC trades. So we realized by mid of 2020 that part of us to stay competitive and scale and be attractive to larger institutions is to invest heavily in our electronic execution services. 
So we are very focused on building uh, a much stronger uh, uh, tech solutions around those verticals I mentioned earlier. We want to offer different ways for our clients to interact electronically with us, uh, to be able to trade and settle across derivatives and custody and spot markets and lending as well. And remember, we have one of the biggest businesses in the market. So we know where the market is, we know where pricing is. So us offering those layers will be a tremendous added value to our clients, especially the medium to small ones who it's hard for us to service them in a high touch manner. So it's, it's very important for us to offer those solutions. I call those the verticals. And uh, into next year, we are gonna focus more on the horizontal experience. If you are doing derivative and lending with us and you have custody, can we do more with you? Can we give you more exposure? How we look with you in a unified way, in a portfolio managed way? And this is basically what resembles the true prime broker experience. So definitely we are investing basically in our technology and quantitative uh, infrastructure and on the cryptographic aspects as well. We are building a core team who is going to be experimenting with different blockchains before they become too big and try those protocols, think about how to integrate them. Because as I told you, we are not betting which asset class will win. We need to be on the frontier of being able to integrate, adopt and execute and settle on pretty much any blockchain that is out there. Uh, this is what we can offer to our clients and this is what our clients expect us to do. Uh, and that will be one of what we strongly believe our competitive edge in the coming years, in the years to come. Well, Dr. Islam, uh, it's been a fantastic pleasure talking to you. You know, as a institution investing in the asset class, you guys have been there from the early days helping to innovate and bring the industry forward. And I know uh, you deal with a lot of our colleagues who are also investing in the space. So I want to thank you for everything that you guys are doing at Genesis and also for your partnership and collaboration around our global events and, and building out the community via those forums as well. So thanks so much for joining us and, and great speaking with you. Thank you, John. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much. Hopefully we'll speak soon. Likewise, and hopefully next time in person. But it's great speaking to you, Dr. Islam. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in to today's SALT Talk with Dr. Darar Islam from Genesis Trading. Just a reminder, if you missed any part of this talk or any of our previous SALT Talks, they're all uh, available on demand on our website. It's salt.org backslash talks or on our YouTube channel, which is called Salt Tube. We're also on social media. Twitter is where we're most active at SALT Conference but we're also on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook as well. And please spread the word about these SALT Talks. We love educating people, uh, whether they're new to the space or uh, looking to get deeper uh, into digital assets about certain elements of what players like Genesis are building within the ecosystem. But on behalf of the entire SALT team, this is John Darcy signing off from SALT Talks for today. We hope to see you back here again soon.